And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bronze. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up on this one, Arsenal beat the current champions, but can Chelsea blame VAR? The debutantes impressed for Manchester City and Spurs finally get their first win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'm Kate Borsay. And I'm Lindsay Hooper. And this week, our guest is someone who I saw from afar at the weekend. <laughs> I couldn't get to her because of COVID red zones which are the, the bane of our life, Joe Curry. But welcome along to the show. Um, how are you and how are you after the, the opening weekend of action? Oh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, purple zones, red zones. We couldn't get anywhere near each other on Friday night, could we? I no. can just imagine Lynn's shouting, Joe! Joe! <laughs> Across the I stadium. actually resisted doing that because I thought I might draw unwanted attention to Joe. <laughs> and the United fans are actually in good voice on Friday night, so I probably wouldn't have heard you. But do you know what? I got to see two, uh, I was at two games of the opening weekend and loved every minute of it. It's great to be back. Brilliant. And before we get into everything, we can go through those games in full detail in a mojo. A reminder for everyone that you can get a third off an athletic subscription by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. Not only getting podcasts like this one, but you can also get some great content online as well. Let's get into it because the table isn't looking how we thought it might look. I think going into the opening weekend, everyone had Chelsea at the top, but actually they're a little bit further down the table in seventh right now. Not that we should read too much into that, I suppose, Joe. I can't remember the last time I saw Chelsea mid-table. Manchester City at the top, you know, we're not unused to seeing that in recent seasons, but Brighton in second, hello, what a result. <laughs> we won't read too much into it at this stage, but it does give us some food for thought. Let's crack on then with the detail on Arsenal-Chelsea. Two goals from Beth Mead and one from Vivian Miedemar helped Arsenal claim an impressive 3-2 victory over last year's champions. In her post-match interviews, Chelsea manager Emma Hayes, though, said a lack of VAR in the WSL let her side down. So point taken, Joe, from Emma Hayes, but... Um, maybe a bit of sour grapes. It's kind of a separate issue, really, to how her side performed in this game. What did you make of it? For me, it was the game of the weekend. You know, it had everything you'd want in it. Was the third goal offside? Yes, I think it was. Should that be the, the thing we're talking about most coming out of that game? No, I don't I don't think it should be. Um, VAR is, is a relevant topic, but Tom Gary wrote an excellent article in The Telegraph this week talking about, yes, you know, women's football should be pushing for um, parity with the men's game, and that means they should have VAR in the top league as a minimum but there's so many other issues in women's football that probably need to be tackled first and in terms of Chelsea I suspect there was a slight bit of deflection from Emma because I'm not entirely sure she got the formation Mm. right particularly in that first half defensively we're not used to seeing them look a little bit flappy a little bit over the place Um, you know they were three slash five at the back yes exactly and that 
And that was definitely an issue, wasn't it? But also the decision to rest Kirby and Kerr. How much of a deciding factor was that, Lindsay? Yeah, and not just those. I think Sophie Ingle as well, because when she eventually did make the substitutes um, in the second half, it was the three of them came on a, a triple substitution. But she justified it. You know, pre-match, I did ask her, obviously, about the fact that they were on the bench. And she was quick to say, you know, being at the Olympics and the amount of time that they'd had in training that she felt that they weren't quite there and they needed a bit more rest. And I think you saw that. I think you saw splatterings of that throughout the whole of the opening weekend, actually, where a lot of the players that had been at the Olympics or had a lot more to do over the summer were slightly rustier because you you just know that coming back to domestic football, you've got to get into another manager's way of playing, another style. Um, And also this is full on. You know, it's the first time it's had all this attention for, for a very long time. And I think a lot of the coaches were wary of that when they were picking their teams. They wanted it to be a really, really good product and they didn't want people that were at 90 or 95 percent they wanted them at 100 now rotation wise I think we've always leveled at Chelsea that they can handle that this was the first time Joe I thought that maybe the rotation was part of the problem here yeah it was it was an odd one for me because yes um, you know the likes of Kirby and Kerr had been at the Olympics and probably hadn't been in training as much as maybe Emma would have liked but if they were fit and I mean you know fit to play the game which I suspect they were you're playing Arsenal away at the Emirates in the opening at game. The Emirates. That's where you yes. need your big players. You know, there's plenty of time in the season to rest players, particularly, as you say, Chelsea's squad is magnificent. And, you know, most weeks, any player can step on that pitch and do a job. But then surely, Joe, the talent at Chelsea means that actually Emma Hayes has built her team exactly for this reason, exactly to make decisions like this, where she can put Kirby and Kerr, rest them on the bench for a while. Erin Cuthbert, uh, Bethany England, Penilla Harder up front uh, for Chelsea. We've talked about this issue with their back three. Can I ask you both about the occasion as well, Lindsay? It would be remiss of me not to ask you what it was like at the Emirates. Um, There seemed to be an awful lot of noise coming through um, for the amount of fans. How many were there? About 9,000 or so there. Just short, just short of that, it was just over eight thousand. But there, there was a lot of noise, and I think the, you know, the first sight you're greeted by as well as players when they come out and they do that pitch inspection, and they're they're stood in their tracksuits after just arriving off the coach, and you walk out, and it is just beautiful. I mean, it looks like a snooker table. That's how well you know kept this ground is at the Emirates. I mean, it's just looked flawless the pitch. So immediately they they get that grandeur because as well. It's such a huge stadium, isn't it? So with 8,000 in it, we know that that, that isn't going to feel full for them. But it, it was certainly a huge, huge number to get for a women's game like this one. And they made a lot of noise. And we saw that at the end, you know, the, the celebrations, uh, the players were spending a lot of time bands up to about half an hour at the final whistle. And it, and it was a real good curtain raiser. It was the sort of fixture that from us, from a media point of view, I'm sure for you as well, Joe, you were salivating at the thought of this because it's Arsenal-Chelsea. These are the ones that have been tipped to be going head-to-head for the title, Man City up there as well. But it's always been about these three in recent seasons. So it was a huge one. Whether I think Emma had that in her mind, I didn't get that impression. I don't feel that she saw this as a huge, huge fixture in the way that we all build it in a way. Um, 
she sees it as a long season. She sees it as fighting on multiple fronts. And I think that might have been part of the reason why there were players rested and she felt that the mm. team should cope. Erin Cuthbert was brilliant and it did feel at times, I mean, the header as well was absolutely pinpoint. But you you think that there are times in this match where Chelsea at the end of last season would have gone on and got another goal and got another goal. But I just felt that it was more credit to Arsenal and the way they defended. They were so, so organised and they looked better defensively, didn't they, Joe, than than Chelsea? I was going to say, we're talking a lot about Chelsea, but yeah, they, they Chelsea didn't look great at the back, but Arsenal looked so good, I thought, through large periods of that game. You know, going forwards, they really pulled apart Chelsea's that sort of three slash five at the back defence. Those balls behind, the running in behind defence, I thought was fantastic. And I will say this about Emma. Emma said after the game that, you know, a season is not defined in the opening game or the opening weekend. She's absolutely right. But let's not forget that last season, Chelsea lost one game all season. And they've just lost their opening game. And so whilst obviously, it. yeah, there's a there's a long, long way to go. You know, this result could well help define the title decider in several months' time. Let's talk Arsenal then, um, because we need to throw some plaudits in their direction. Beth Mead looked fantastic. I wonder if she's been doing quite a lot of work in the off-season. Of course, she wasn't selected to go to the Olympics. She looked great. Her speed and her pace looked really good. And you saw that for her first goal, actually. Great combination with Miedemar. We'll obviously throw in Miedemar's goal as well. Classic Viv, uh, Lindsay. I noticed that you tweeted about that. It didn't, didn't surprise us at all, did it? And the offside? Well, yes, Beth Mead was offside for Arsenal's third goal in her second but that was nicely worked up to that point it was really nicely worked by Iwabuchi who again we saw some really good stuff from she didn't manage to get on the score sheet but I wonder if Arsenal are benefiting from being kind of oiled in after those uh, Champions League fixtures they played three so far they've got their return leg against Slavia Prague this Thursday Lindsay so they're so they're sort of bedded in and they and they looked like that they looked happy and confident their game was flowing and I I, I I thought you could really see that. And let's remember as well that Beth Mead, who got player of the match in this one, this is an Arsenal side without Tobin Heath yet. She's yet to join up with I'm them. I'm so she excited by this, the by the way. So. But <laughs> yeah. maybe, you know, this is a player that might not have been in the starting eleven in a few weeks' time. And so potentially there's a bit of hunger there from Beth to show that, you know, she's going to want to stake a claim on this starting place and it isn't going to be necessarily her that will make way for Tobin when when she comes in and I think that's good I think the competition for places especially in attack that Jonas has got is going to work to his credit like you say they're already three Champions League qualifiers in they've won all of those a lot of people had ignored the fact as well that Arsenal had beaten Chelsea pre-season that was one of the questions yes. I'd asked pre-match but I think the warning signs had been there and um, and, and by the way what a celebration from Jonas at full time. You see the passion like that from a manager. And and that's infectious, right? The whole way through though, Linz, right? He was he's so different to the way Joe Montemuro was pretty kind of laid back. Uh, I can't remember which player mentioned this after the game, but they said it was really interesting. Such such a difference between managers. And you could see Adeval there for kind of every single chance, every single goal. He was there and he was celebrating. I thought that that was so good to see. Joe, what did you make of it? From what I understand, the Arsenal players adored Joe, as did the media, to be fair. What a great guy. But I think 
he had done everything he could do with the squad. Now let's let's be honest, he you know struggled massively with those injuries throughout his his tenure at Arsenal, and I really hope that for Jonas he gets you know almost like a clean bill of health with his squad because Arsenal haven't had that over the last few years. But to me, they they looked refreshed. They looked a little bit more alive than they have done in the last few seasons. They connected better. And it was just a joy to watch them play. And as for Beth Mead, you know, I, I think missing out on the Olympics probably would have hurt her. I think it's hurt a number of players. The likes of Alex Green would have talked about how much it, it hurt. But what a, you know, a thing to fire you into the next season. And she's definitely, you know, she's, she's put a marker down. And not just for, for Arsenal to say, hey, Tobin Heath, come and get my place. It's also to England and Serena saying, look, I'm back. Take a look at me. I spoke to Jordan Nobbs as well on the touchline. She was watching on. Um, Caitlin Ford also injured uh, next to her. But, uh, you know, Jordan saying she's hopeful three to four weeks she'll be back. Ford, she'll be back. I just think there there is a, a depth in squad to Arsenal now that we've mm. not given enough credit to. Tobin Heath, to have Tobin Heath about to join your side is, I mean... You all know what I think about Tobin Heath. I'm a massive <laughs> fan girl of her. I just, even before she came to United, I've been pretty much in football love with her since the World Cup in 2015 and before then. The, the quality of what she does is exceptional. And she's only going to add that to the Arsenal um, lineup as well. You know, without me getting too much ahead of myself, who did I say was going to win the league last uh, last episode, Lindsay? I think it who changed every week, didn't it? <laughs> no, last season, yes. But last week in our preview show, I just went all out there for Arsenal and then they signed Tobin Heath and I was like oh my gosh maybe fate has aligned in my favour I know it's still a bit of a mad punk. don't get too carried away I mean I know, I know I know but I'm but I'm fully signed up and excited about what Arsenal are up to Look, what did we make of the post-match conversation as well from Emma? Um, I did notice, in fact, a few colleagues messaged me going, oh, this second-class citizen line has gone everywhere, which is something that she said to us to camera um, on the full-time whistle, which is that, you know, we can't be second-class citizens in women's football and mm. about goal line technology. But um, Joe mentioned at the start when we, when we touched on this that there are wider issues and one of them has to be, and I do think it's improving, I think the, the first weekend has shown that, but the Officiating, you know, if you've got amateur referees, how can we even talk about goal line technology and VAR yet when we can't get that in place right? Mike Riley um, was there on the opening night. I know that you would have spotted that as well, Joe, for Manchester United Reading. And, and I thought officiating overall was pretty good for the first weekend compared Agreed. to what we've seen before. Yeah, I, to be fair, apart from the VAR decision, I don't think, <laughs> apart from that huge goal-winning <laughs> moment, um, there weren't um, any, you know, the, the officiating wasn't part of the conversation. And that is such a good thing. You know, how many times in women's football have we talked about the officiating rather than the football on the pitch? So it's getting better. The FAR making moves to improve, you know, refereeing in, in the women's game. Um, the VAR conversation, it's an interesting one. It's one that should be had. But at the moment, if you look at the structure of all the stadiums, I don't even know if all the stadiums could have VAR. I suspect that's part of the reason why, you Maybe. know, if you can't have it all grounds, you won't have it at any. Um, there's, there's quite a way to go. Kelly Simmons, who's director of the women's game at the FAU, also spoke and did media, did make that very point um, about the capabilities of stadiums. And, and th there, is, there is obviously more to it than, than probably what we know in terms of cost. I thought that goal line technology would be more of a priority, you know, that incident mm. that happened on Friday night than VAR would be. Well, we're talking about both of them, aren't we, really? You'd like to think both would come in together. Um, I think Emma's got a point, but I do 
I do think kind of checking out the sexism line is totally fair enough. We'd all like to see it in the game. We all want to see women in the women's and men's game treated equally, but we're just not at that point yet. Yes, that's the yes, that's the target. Of course it is. And that's the right target to have. But we're not there yet. And for me, it misses the point. It does, as you referenced, Lindsay, deflect away from the real issue in the game for Chelsea. I know that we need to move on. Can I say one final thing? And it's mm-hmm. Arsenal related because um, we did we did mention about Mana Iwabuchi who made her debut. And yes, that was great. But oh my word, I tell you who caught my eye, Frida Marnham from Norway on the oh, wing. Yes, How she was excellent. good was she? She was excellent. And yeah, you're absolutely right. She is certainly one to watch the, for the future and it's exciting to have her in the league. And she's young as well, isn't she? So yeah, all good, all good. We like it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Should we move on then, Linz? Where where are we going next? We are going to Goodison Park because it was another huge stadium opening its doors on the debut weekend for the WSL. Everton nil, Manchester City 4 is how it finished. Debut goals for new signings, Vicky Lasada, who looked brilliant. Uh, Khadija mm. Shaw helped Manchester City as well on their way to a 4-0 win over the Toffees. Shaw got the third from close range with Steph Horton stepping up, adding the fourth. Of course, it was a free kick because she loves to score a free kick. At that goal, I saw Joe in particular getting a lot of pickup. That was going viral on social media, her free kick. It's only when I watched it, because I was at the game and watching it in real time, it's only when I watched it back after the game where you see the two City players kind of in the Everton wall at the last minute going opposite directions and it just leaves this huge hole in the Everton wall. Um, and at the time I didn't appreciate quite how clever a worked piece was. You thought oh, it's a well-taken free kick by Steph and I couldn't quite work out why you know, the Everton goalkeeper didn't move as much as he did. But when you watch it in real time, it's a real piece of work. It's, it's enjoyable to watch, absolutely. How was Goodison Park, Joe, for this? You know what, it's like um, so many of the games, when they're held at Premier League grounds, it feels like so much more of an occasion. And Liverpool is such a footballing city. I think they as a club would be disappointed maybe to only get 6,000 in. I say only, look, you know, Everton, if they got 6,000 in every week, they'd be delighted. But when you hold these big matches in the big stadiums, when the likes of Spurs and Man City have had, what, 40-odd thousand, that's the kind of crowd size that you really sort of need to make it, I guess, financially worthwhile. But, you know, great atmosphere, beautiful pitch, um, and it's the kind of stadium that, that games should be held in. In terms of the result, um, Manchester City were dominant. I'm not sure I had them down as 3-0 up at half-time. I think Everton just weren't taking their chances. And then second half, Everton were much better. But by that point, the damage was done. Yeah, it was like, pow, 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 wasn't it? 12 minutes, three goals, job done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Everton could barely take a breath, could they? They looked, well, they looked defensively woeful. Uh, and there was a combination here. You know, players like Janine Becky, she was absolutely brilliant. So impressive from Vicky Lasada making uh, her competitive debut for wow. City as well. Wow, one of the standout performances yeah. of the weekend. Uh, there there were so some classy. that just, oh, so, just purring, purring, making you purr. <laughs> Have we had purring on the podcast before? <laughs> I can go and get my cat and records of actuality for producer Joel to just all hear the sound the effects. Background. 
Um, so players, players purring, defenders. Well, the Everton defence. Uh, let's talk about that, shall we? Um, they just. I mean, I don't know whether it's because we've got some new signings in there as well. Um, Rika Zvecka, Natalie Bjorn, who's a new signing. Gabby George, Danielle Turner. So actually, only only one new signing. How do we assess? What happened to Everton here? Or were they just Manchester city if you see what I mean? I think there was certainly a degree of being Manchester city but let's bear in mind that City had the spine of their team missing. Ellie Roebuck out, Lucy Bronze, Kira Walsh, all out injured, relatively long-term-ish. You know, Ellen White, Georgia Stanway only fit enough for the bench. So, and as um, Willie Kirk said to me afterwards, you know, Everton were probably a far better prep team in terms of their pre-season. I think they've had more more games and he, you know, he said we were probably a far better prepared team. One thing he did say that was interesting, he said maybe the occasion got to the girls you know, he didn't say it as a definite, yes. he said perhaps it's one thing we need to look at. And what was interesting is that I then interviewed Izzy Christensen afterwards, put those comments to her and she was like, I can only speak for myself, but absolutely not. And if we can't play in front of, you know, in our home ground in front of the Evertonian fans, then we need to have, we need to really think about what's going on here. So I think he was a bit perplexed at what went wrong. But, you know, by half time it was done and dusted, 3-0 down. He probably needed to do changes before that do we need to say it as well do we need to actually go and say it and say he got he got the tactics wrong yeah he did and he's bedding in a lot of new players that's what I think was maybe part of it he signed nine players this summer that's a huge amount I think it's the most in the league I suspect um but I think he was just excited to see how they did. I don't think he, he at any point thought it was going to be the result it was. I don't think it was quite a 4-0 performance, if I'm honest. That's what I would say, Joe. actually. I think I think what I took away was you've brought in a lot of quality. You've been given the purse strings to be able to do so. And it felt like a crowbar together team to get those names all on the pitch at the same time. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, not all nine, not all nine started. No, not fair, all nine but, started. But, yeah. but there, were, there were key names, weren't there, that were introduced? And I, I, I felt like that might be part of the problem for Willie if he doesn't, if if you don't sort of take it on game by game and the tactics that you've got at play. I mean, he knew that Gareth Taylor was going to set up Manchester City to play. Yeah. And we know how they're going to play, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we we know we know their for, their formation. It doesn't change. It's four at the back. I think Everton did respond better in the second half. Let's not let's not you know completely say that they fell apart because that's what the scoreline looks like. But but the damage was done in the first half. I was reading an interview with an Everton player. And I can't remember who it was now. Um, said that they changed to a back four in the second half. There was definitely better sort of one and two touch passing from what I saw. There was a chance from a free kick. Daniel Turner uh, with a low effort saved by. The City goalie Karina Benamur, um, really good save that one. So there could have been a little consolation um, for Everton. At least they responded with something in the second half, and it didn't end up with an absolutely horror scoreline. But it, I, I think it will sort of be back to uh, back to some work in progress for Willie Kirk. I already want to rewind a week and go back to our prediction and preview podcast and change my mind on Everton. Okay. And isn't that ridiculous that I'm saying that after one match? But I, I genuinely feel that although I think there will be occasions where things will click, the thing that screamed at me is that there's, I think there's going to be inconsistency. That's what I think. 
I think they'll come good. I do. I asked Willie Kirk how stern were his words at half time. And he said he didn't really have to do the talking. The players did the talking. He said they've got a lot of leaders in that group, which he hasn't always had. It's, it was a bit of a young squad at times. Um, I think they'll come good. I do. I mean, let's face it, they're away to Chelsea this weekend. It doesn't get much tougher than, you know, the Man City at home and Chelsea away. It's a, it's a pretty tough start to the season. But get those two games out of the way. I'm not saying they can't beat Chelsea away, but I'm saying, you know, it's going to be an up, uphill struggle. Um, but after that, I, I think they'll build. I do. Should we move on to the next one then? Also at a men's stadium, Kit Graham scored well, somewhat fortuitously from across as Spurs women won 1-0 at the fourth attempt at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, what do we make of this one, Joe? Not great from Birmingham. I think the number of attempts Spurs had, something that, 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 that sort of jumped out to me, um, Spurs probably should have made better with the chances that they had. Uh, 19 attempts to Birmingham, seven. Um, Birmingham with only two attempts on target, Spurs with five on target. I think I wanted Spurs to be a bit more convincing here. Yes, and the stats certainly suggest that they should have been, you know, scoring more than than that goal and and the way it was as well. Um, I think Spurs have got a similar problem to maybe last year, which is do they have an out-and-out goal scorer who'll bang them in week in week out you know they brought in Alex Morgan we didn't see much of her to be fair um, but you know they don't have let's say like an Ellen White a Beth Mead a Meadamart and I think that's what they they desperately need and someone who consistently can score those goals. With someone like that they are quite the prospect because this was a hugely dominant performance, wasn't it? They look good. They did look good. There's certainly encouraging signs. You know, they, there's a group that have been together now for a, a couple of seasons and they should be doing well. You know, they, they carry a big badge. Um, their budgets aren't that small. They, they, should be, they should be doing well. Yeah, it was, a, you know, Birmingham are obviously always going <laughs> to... I'm not going to say always going to struggle on the pitch, but their size of playing budget will always be an issue for them. Yeah. And yet every season they turn out and my goodness me, do they battle. And they, they battled at the weekend, but Spurs looked, that for a large part of it, if we ignore the finishing, really, really good. thing with Birmingham, as, as hard as they work, there are some situations where I found them really, really wasteful. So cor- when they do get a corner kick or they get a set piece or they have moments where they can break up play, they, they often either had the ball turned over or didn't clear the first defender for instance which is just the cardinal sin right so is is that stuff that is just needs to be worked on on the on the training pitch and that that just obviously hasn't happened yet but that's obviously encouraging as well i think because it's the it's the basics and if you're getting the basics wrong and and you know and you're conceding a goal get the basics right and things will improve for me that that's not yeah yeah, that's not the biggest worry and birmingham are going to be reliant on basics they don't have the same personnel they don't have the same budget yet although we know things are being addressed uh, so they need to get stuff like set pieces right from spurs we'll move to manchester manchester united against reading which was the season opener on friday night it was the game where i was trying to wave to joe from the other side of the dugout (laughs) um look it was a brilliant way to start the season joe because kirsty hansen player of the match she got the first goal of the new campaign um, on a badger who is just incredible. I mean, nothing was getting past her. You really look at that Manchester United team and they're, they're equipped to cause some upsets this season. I'm excited to see what they can do. And let's bear in mind that they've got uh, a new manager in Mark Skinner, who's, you know, did a great job at Birmingham City, gone away to Orlando, had a challenging time at Orlando because of COVID, but was managing 
some of the biggest names in the world, the likes of Marta, Ali Krieger, Ashlyn Harris, you know, World Cup winners. Um, and he's come back to the WSL and he's such an asset. He's such a likeable guy. And I think that's really important because I suspect the players will respond well to him because he's so enthusiastic. He so wants to do well at this club. And he said that there really weren't many clubs in England that he'd come back for, but the badge of Manchester United is special. Now, he's talked about the red wave which I might be wrong, but I've interpreted this, interpreted this as him wanting sort of wave after wave of attack, really thrilling the fans. Now, they're not there yet, but it's a young squad. And I think, you know, without the likes of Tobin Heath, who was electric for them last season, when she was fit, before she got injured, um, I think they might miss a little bit of experience. They're a young squad, but you're right. From what we saw uh, on Friday night, there's a lot of good things to come from them. Yeah, the scoreline 2-0 to Manchester United against Reading. And we should mention um, Ella Toon as well. Look, it was a great goal from Kirsty Hansen. Uh, and you're right to mention Onobadier as well. I hope we've pronounced that correctly. Lynn's actually sent us, WhatsApped us through a little pronunciation guide. So I hope, I hope I've done that right, Lynn's. Um, but we should mention um, Ella Toon, provider for both the goals. Um, again, so intrinsic to that side as well. And here's what Mark Skinner needs to do. And you know, Leah Galton also had chances as well. He's got some great players there. It is organisation and it is ambition too. And he sort of referenced, or we talked in our preview podcast, about how there'd been a couple of references to perhaps players not being brave enough um, and perhaps players not always quite knowing what they were doing. What was their position? What was their gameplay uh, uh, sort of versus versus particular moves, waves, waves of play? So if he organises that, he's got the personnel. We've seen that. And Martha Thomas, too, as well. I mentioned her last week. And I know, look, I know the jury's out, but she is a good player. She spent a long time in the States. Um, and again, someone I was really pleased to see. So optimistic from me on Manchester United. But what about Reading? It was a slow start from United. And this is an, another post-match interview where Mark did admit that he thought there might have been nerves at play for the start of that game. I felt that Kelly Chambers for Reading was so dignified in her post-match interview because let's face it, you know, the 2-0 scoreline at 1-0, that's when Brooke Chaplin hit the crossbar and it looked like on replays the ball as it bounced down crossed over the line. We won't know because, you know, the thing is the ball has to be fully over and that's something that you would need goal line technology for but on naked eye look it, it looked like it could have crossed that would have made it 1-1 and what actually happens is pretty much immediately after that play we then go up the other end and Manchester United get the second through Badger and it was a lovely finish from her um, especially for a first goal as well in the WSL now it, it completely changes games and I think Kelly was was right to sort of not blame um, the lack of technology to a degree because I think You've got to get on with it. It's not going to be there this season. Um, it is the, what it is, there isn't are, it, essentially? There are times in matches like that where you do feel for the managers and you feel for teams because Reading had started strongly. I felt that Manchester United came across as the fitter side of these two and I felt that they grew into the game and certainly the last 20 minutes, I don't think that their lead looked in danger. But if if Reading could play the way they did for the first 20 for, for 90, then, then they really would be asking some questions of teams towards the top. Um, and there is going to be a bit of, of jiggery-pokery there as well. You know, Natasha Dowie didn't start this one. They brought her in this summer to get the goals. That will have been a huge, huge miss, her picking up a slight injury um, and would have been a surprise and something that, you know, Kelly had to react to. But yeah, I, I feel like there there's definitely some hope there for Reading and and I just really like the fact that Kelly didn't blame it on on those issues too much. 
Yeah, Kelly is a class act, has been for years. And I'll say this about Reading, and I've said it the last couple of seasons, is I don't think we appreciate the consistency of them year in, year out. You know, every year we tend to get more and more women's teams coming into the Super League who are attached to Premier League sides. And that means they tend to have bigger budgets. But every year people are like, oh, Reading only finished fifth or sixth again. They're not improving. But to finish fifth or sixth, you know, consistently... I think is brilliant for probably I suspect on the size of their budgets and it you know Kelly has always been really good at being able to attract good you know big name players the likes of Farrah Williams who's now obviously retired at the end of last season but to be able to bring her to to Reading people go there because of Kelly you know and I, I would love to see them challenging for a trophy I think that squad deserves a trophy um I don't think it will be the league trophy, but I think they have silverware within them. They just need a good, maybe a cup run. And I'm not trying to be rude about them in the league, um, but I think they'll be absolutely fine in the league. And I suspect they'll be mid-table looking towards the top as per usual. Yeah, I was watching some post-match from Reading's Brooke Chaplin, who, of course, um, had the goal that was um, that kind of should have been uh, if there was goal line technology. She looked really frustrated, though. I was just a, li- a little bit concerned. She was saying, look, it isn't good enough. Um, she was being quite hard on the team. Um, don't know whether we read anything into that or not. Um, we're going to have to move on, but can I just get a quick one from each of you on United's new Norwegian midfielder, Vilda Borisa? Uh, I thought she was fantastic. Such an exciting prospect as well, Jay. Yeah, you know, it, she was one of the uh, the exciting prospects on the night. I'm going to be a bit naughty and not talk about her and just bring up one other thing. A <laughs> little bee in my bonnet. <laughs> Why was the game not played at Old Trafford? It's the opening game of the season. There was an international break, so the men weren't at home. Lee Sports Village is not the easiest ground to get to for those on public transport. And I just think it was a missed opportunity. Not only that, the the signage was missing. I mean, Manchester United as a club need to take some responsibility for promoting the games. And it was impossible to know that there was a match happening that night, let alone that it was live on Sky Sports and a season opener, which I believe if you were in certain parts of West London, you'd come out of Tube Station and there would be posters and billboards and things everywhere. Why can't can't everyone do that? So United Men's Twitter account has something like 26 million... Uh, followers and after the game uh, and I looked a few hours a few hours afterwards so I don't know if it, it happened eventually or not but they didn't even congratulate on the women's team they didn't even signal the the result and that's 26 million people on one social media oh. account alone that follow them okay so work needs to be done you've had a ticking off from us Manchester United <laughs> please do better next time looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. Let's get on to Villa versus Leicester. A 2-1 win for Villa this one. Natasha Flint put Leicester in front after a mistake by goalkeeper Hannah Hampton. But Villa turned it around two goals in the space of 60 seconds. Sarah Malin equalised with a spectacular free kick before Remy Allen marked her Aston Villa debut by scoring the winner against her former club, Leicester City. So 2-1, Leicester started off really brightly, I thought, and I was full of encouragement for them. But it, perhaps that uh, that momentum was was basically swung off course by those two Villa goals, Linz. 
Yeah, I, I felt for this one that it was very evenly matched. And the thing that came to be the difference was the experience of players like Remy Allen, who got the winner. And I, I don't think WSL experience can be overlooked here. Um, having a player like that for Villa is huge. I think they've lost a key player in Iwabuchi, who's gone to Arsenal. They needed to make sure they'd got an appearance maker, really, someone that could could replace the the creative flair that she had with just some grit and you know WSL knowledge. And that is what you get with Remy Allen. Um, she's a very underrated player as well, I think, during her career. Um, the thing with Leicester, they they have everything in terms of the investment and the training facilities to be able to really go for it in this season. And, and, you know, I stick by what we said in the first show that I don't think Leicester will go down. But I do wonder whether the experience factor is just something that they're lacking a little bit to get games over the line. You might find throughout the season that Leicester will be right in it. They'll be at 1-1 or they might even take the lead in quite a few games, but they might not just be able to hold it, hold it out. And if they do stay in the league, it's something that they're they'll then be able to do next season. But um, a bit early for me to be mm. saying that, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I honestly think that Remy Allen was was one of the players that was the difference in this one. Yeah, there, there was a chance for Leicester in stoppage time to equalise, substitute Lachant Paul, uh, denied by Hannah Hampton. Let's commend Carla Ward in charge of the Aston Villa side. It's said, isn't it, that you need three wins during a WSL season in which to stay up. And Carla Ward, you know, for a team that are a concern, are one of the teams that we'd flag up as um, as uh, you know a possible um, side to be relegated. Carla Ward's a third of the way there already, Joe. Yeah, I'm sure she'd love to look at it that way. <laughs> I didn't realise that that's how people said, only three wins. Gosh, mm. that's mad. But, you know, I think, and I don't mean this rudely, it was a kind opening weekend to both of them. You know, the fact that Leicester have come up and playing one of the teams that really struggled last season to to stay up. Um, and Villa obviously playing the, the newcomers. It was, it was a kind weekend for both of them. But there was encouraging signs for both. It was a good game, you know. There were good highlights from it. Um, Leicester, I don't think, I don't think they you know, I don't think they'll go down. But we've, I've only seen one game. Um, and again, Villa, I think, have, have had some decent recruitment. I think Iwabushi is a huge loss for them. Huge, huge loss. Um, I, I suspect, I don't know if either team will get sort of mid-table-ish, but um, we shall see. But no, I, I think both, you know, encouraging signs from both. And we know what Carla Ward can do on far less with Birmingham in terms of money and I suspect facilities. So this is a real chance for her to to show what she can do in almost like a fair opportunity, as it were, in the WSL. On we go and credits to Jen O'Neill, who last week was singing the praises of Brighton and had them right up there, didn't she, Kate? Oh, yeah. Uh, This was the sort of start that Hope Powell will be rubbing her hands together for because everything seemed to just go to plan, the game plan that would have been in place for this 2-0 victory over West Ham. Now, West Ham were down to 10 players for an hour in this match. Howard Sissoko was sent off for handling a goal-bound shot. Inessa Kagman then converted the spot kick. Uh, Lee Guan-Min made it 2-0 before half-time. Is it just a case of bleating on about Brighton here and how much you think that they, they are looking solid, they're looking together, they are benefiting from the fact they've had a manager in situ for a while, Joe? We love a bleat on this podcast. Come on, let's all bleat together. Um, yeah, look, Hope Powell knows what she's doing. She's been in the league long enough to, to have found her feet. Um, their recruitment is kind of what we've seen from them in the past. Um, they don't tend to go for big star signings, as it were, and I've often wondered 
you know, does does that harm them or not? I don't know. Um, but there's not much you could really pick Brighton up on on this. But they were, as you say, playing a team with 10 players for the majority of the game. So it's hard to give a real kind of, I don't know, analysis of, of West Ham. Um, but I think Brighton will be delighted, not just with the result, but with the performance. Danielle Carter, such a good signing for Brighton, really. It was her shot that was blocked by Sissoko. Uh, uh, Sissoko carded and then, of course, the penalty converted by Brighton. Um, she's going to be useful. I think when you look at West Ham, and, and, and I am really concerned by West Ham, actually. I'm not totally convinced by what's going on there. They just they just failed to do the basics, failed to clear their lines. They looked haphazard. They looked disorganised in places as well. There, there was a chance uh, for Claudia Walker... She sent her effort over the bar. And Adriana Leon, actually. Yes, she actually, bar, early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, but I just think Brighton, you know, did a very sort of spick and span professional job on them without any disrespect to West Ham. Sorry, but I just thought Brighton were much better. West Ham concerned me last season and they concern me this season. They just don't. They've got they've got a good squad, you know. It's it's not a cheap squad. Um, they've got the players. They just don't always seem to be able to. I don't even know what it is. But I mean, you know, let's not go too hard on them. They were down to ten players, but for me, on what I saw, they could struggle this season. It's put a lot of emphasis on their next game this weekend against Villa. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to an interview I'm doing on Friday with Adriana Leon. We're going to do a preview for for the game. Um, but I think, you know, a first home match, it's important that they at least get something from that game to build on. And at the moment, I think they probably would be happy to take a draw because the way that the way that Villa are under Carla Ward, they are not going to make it easy at all. No. So um, I think there's a there's a lot of eyes on this next Claret and Blue clash. Yeah, we've got this big new TV deal, of course, Linz, you're part of the Sky Sports lineup. Um, is that what's affected the kickoff time? So I'm looking at the weekend's fixtures now. West Ham Villa starts at 11.30. She's just basically saying, can we blame you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, can I put some on Joe and the BBC as well? Can I? <laughs> yes. Load it Look, I think TV, TV definitely has had a say. I don't think necessarily it was the time slot that everybody wanted, but it obviously needs to stand alone on occasion so that we can give it the full treatment and make sure that we have it at a time of day where we get enough eyes on it. Um, I must admit from myself, getting there for the 12.30 kickoff at the Emirates <laughs> was a struggle. So the 11.30, I'm just going to have to have a really good night's sleep. Don't get calling me Friday night when you're up really late, Kate. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. Uh, what else have we got at the weekend? Uh, we have, let's just run through the fixtures and then we'll pick up on a few of them. So just that game on the Saturday, West Ham Villa, then Chelsea Everton on Sunday that's the uh the, the 12:30 kickoff uh, Leicester Man United Birmingham play Brighton and Reading play Arsenal and the later kickoffs so this is quarter to 7 on a Sunday night Manchester City play yep. Tottenham I'm at that one as well yeah oh my gosh so you're <laughs> <laughs> you're at both ends Joe uh, are you being posted anywhere do you know yet uh, I haven't been given a game for this weekend, but um, for wherever I am, I'll certainly have eyes on, I think, Chelsea-Everton on the Saturday. You know, both teams lost their opening games. It's really unfortunate for Everton, though, isn't it? I yeah. do. I do. This is this is not the fixture that Willie Kirk will want to come back from that loss. But he did say that it's the perfect time to play Chelsea because if they were going into a, like a game that, they, uh, that they'd expect to win easily, there's more pressure on them. Anyone that goes away to Chelsea knows there's no guarantee point points so you know maybe get both them and Manchester City out the way early in the season 
you know, learn and then push on. But, you know, I suspect they'll come back firing on Saturday, beaten 4 0 at home at Goodison would have hurt them and they all want to put on a performance. So that for me. And then, you know, finishing the weekend with Manchester City, Tottenham, lovely stuff. Yeah, Reading Arsenal for me. I'm, you know, keen to keen to keep across my uh, my title toppers, <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> but you know, interested in this one because let's let's just see what Arsenal give us next. As I said, they're in Champions League action on Thursday, so a fairly quick turnaround after that. They travel away to Prague. Uh, some news that broke um, at the end of last week. It was being talked about um, as we could see Tanya Ox to be next to Emma Hayes in the dugout of the weekend, but it's not something we covered on the show. Uh, Chelsea did announce the appointment of Tanya as assistant coach. So she's moved to Chelsea following a three and a half year spell at Bristol City Women. Um, she joins Emma Hayes and the backroom staff um, and she's obviously going to be there for this weekend's game against Everton as well. Um, a first home game of the season um, for her to get a reception from the fans too and she's so well liked in the women's game joe tanya rocks to be I, I think this is a really good move i think it's a genius appointment by emma and chelsea and i think it's a great move for for tanya as well um things were not easy for her at bristol um and i, I did wonder where her next appointment would be i never thought she wouldn't you know get a club in some regard because she is so highly thought of personally and professionally she's so experienced she's got so much technical knowledge and players really like her they respond to her and I think for Emma to snap her up was genius and one more thing before we go something that I certainly wanted to bring up with you Joe. um in in the last couple of weeks we've had some devastating news in the, in the world of women's football um if it has escaped anybody um it was the passing of Lance Hardy who who was a big advocate for the game he certainly was uh, responsible for me getting involved with it and someone that I saw you out in France with um as a senior producer working with you uh, out at the Women's World Cup Joe. um devastating news that he passed away uh, I know that the BBC gave credit because he was very high up at the BBC but had gone freelance in later years but I feel like these male allies um, I know it's come as a real shock for both of us but I, I feel like we need to pay our own homage to him and, and what he did he was a real special guy both professionally and personally you mentioned um, me working with him in France he basically was my producer um, so I worked with him day in day out on the road in France and I, I've worked with Lance a little bit before that but not not sort of in uh, such close proximity and I spent the first week going is he mad or is he a genius <laughs> a genius was the answer yeah he was an utter genius when it came to making tv he adored women's football he really pushed early on when no one else really cared to get it on tv and so many females on tv now you know you and i are both i think in that list are, are there partly because of lance pushing us and giving opportunities and oh devastating news a real shock um and i'm just i'm pleased people have paid tribute to him but it's just so so sad and it's sad for football that we've lost you know we've lost one of the best yeah i just wanted people to to know about that as well that listen to the show that might not have been aware of lance hardy and the work that he'd done for, for us to talk about him i know at manchester united at lee sports village on friday night there was a minute silence before kickoff for remembering people that we'd lost in the last 12 months and certainly lance was at the forefront of my mind in that minute um um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had an opportunity at the BBC without him. It, there's, there's no doubt about that. He, he gave me my first chance on final score. But he, he also introduced me to Hope Powell and Jackie Oatley at some Women's FA Awards many, many, many years ago. Um, and, and I know that there has been an outpouring and a lot of people across the game that will, will want to pay their respects. Um, I'm glad that the BBC did what they did, but I'm also glad that we've managed just to, to have a mention as well. So thank you for that time for Absolutely. us, Kate, as well.
Lynn, so many people paying tribute on Twitter and just the just the kind of all star cast of people thanking him for their opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, um, from us here at the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, um, just remembering Lance Hardy, former BBC Sport producer, former BBC Sport editor and then and friend. Yeah, and friend worked for the BBC for over 30 years, died at the age of 53. Okay, well, it's time to bring uh, a close to proceedings here on the podcast for this week as well. Uh, Joe, we look forward to seeing you soon at whatever Always game you're going to be covering at. Uh, I know we'll be catching up with you again. Uh, Linz, enjoy your weekend at both ends of the football fixtures and we'll catch up with you <laughs> I'm next glad week. you said football fixtures. <laughs> um, I, thought you, I thought you were forecasting me to get norovirus for a second. I don't no, know. no, not yet. Please, please don't tempt fate. She hasn't got time for norovirus. I have. Um, no. <laughs> uh, Linz, I'll speak to you again next week. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. You can listen ad-free via the Athletic app. Keep up to date with everything we're doing by going to The Athletic UK or at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. And you can find out the latest subscription offers by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast was an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.